Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Good morning, everyone. So good to be here with all of you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the assistant pastors at Portico, and it's such a pleasure to be able to bring God's Word to you this morning. We are in a series, and actually today we are wrapping up a months-long series called This Is Living. And in this series, we have been tracking through different moments and different situations where we may find joy is lacking. And we are trying to find out how does the Bible teach us, what is God saying through his word about where we can find joy in life's everyday moments, and not only find it, but choose to be joyful. So with your Bibles and your apps open, let's turn to the scripture this morning for our key text. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. So let me read it here for you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share with me in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire gifts. What I desire is more to be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those belonging to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and your spirit. Amen. How many here would say that we have experienced hardships in our lives? Maybe you're even going through something right now, right? You're probably very familiar with it. And when you're in the midst of that situation, it can seem so insurmountable. And I think for all of us, our situations can be different. It can feel like we are alone in what we're going through, that no one really understands the challenges that we face on a personal level. And I think people all over the world would say that given their situations, what they are facing, everyone faces things that just seem too great to bear. And believe it or not, in a country as advanced and as well-off as Canada, I think we have our own challenges. We have our own situations that we face where we struggle and we feel like, no, what we go through, I don't think anyone truly understands. And so, in fact, let me show you this video that gives an example of some of the things that we as Canadians, 
we in the West, we struggle with on a daily basis. Every year of every day, thousands of people fall victim to FWP. I'm so cold. Starving. Nobody cares about me. Also known as first world problems. I'm so cold. Somebody set the AC to 72. I need it at 73. Starving. Oh, it has leftovers. Nobody cares about me. Nobody commented or liked my status. Hi, I'm Ryan Higa, and for just five hours of attention a day, you could help somebody with FWP. Everyone keeps putting so much pressure on me. I don't know what I want for my birthday. I have too much chips for my dip. But if I open a new dip, I'll have too much dip for my chips. Why does Apple keep making new iPhones? Now I have to get another one? They've been through so much struggle. The remote's over there, but I'm all the way over here. So much hardship. My iPhone 5 is too big for my skinny jeans. So much attention. Tension. 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 I poured my cereal without checking to see if we had milk. We didn't. So please, show your support and send them this video. And show them how much we care about their FWPs. I bought too many groceries. Now I'll have to make two trips. All you have to do is call the URL 1-800.org. And we'll send you the FWP Helping Kit, which includes a bridge, a straw, and a full cup with a cover. Here's a bridge. Now get over it. Here's a straw. Now suck it up. <laughs> All right, now in context, we realize maybe the things that you and I go through are probably not the worst in the world. But when we're in it, yeah, it feels like it's a struggle. And how do we handle that? How do we struggle with that? Or how do we deal with it in the proper way? Now, we made light of some of the hashtag maybe first world problems that we face. But I think in all seriousness, there are true, sincere, genuine challenges that we face. There are moments and situations in our lives that we struggle with that when we come up against it, we just don't understand how it is that we can choose to have joy in the midst of an incredibly difficult situation. But from time to time, I feel like we are all pushed to the limit by these legitimate problems. So let's look at how we can not only choose joy, because it's one thing to choose to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be joyful, but how do you sustain that joyful mindset? How do you say, I'm going to not just live in this moment and be joyful, but I'm going to try and make this a part of my everyday life? I think if we find that we're in and out of joy then we haven't yet clued in to what the Bible says is the best way to remain joyful. Now, I'm not talking about being happy, because happiness is something that happens moment by moment. I like to think, as joy, uh, think of joy as being something that is like a long, never-ending thread that weaves its way through your life and through your circumstances, that no matter the highs or the lows, the joy remains there throughout. So what does our key passage tell us today about how to sustain joy? Well, first, joy is sustained by committing to relationship. Joy is sustained by committing to relationship. In verses 10 and 14 of our passage, if you look in your Bibles or in your apps, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles." See, the Philippian church was concerned about Paul, and so they shared in his struggle. They saw a need, and then they decided to help. Now, how often do we see a need, but then choose to ignore it? 
Now, when I describe it like that, it may seem like, well, I'm a good person. I would never see a need and then choose to ignore it. I would never do something like that. But think about how often we handle situations when people come to us and share what's going on in their lives. Maybe in your conversations, even as you exit these doors or wherever you find yourself this morning, when you're in conversation with others, maybe other fellow Christians or your family or friends or your neighbors, when they share a need, a struggle, a situation that they're going through, what is it that we typically say? Oh, I'll be praying for you, right? But how often do we actually remember to pray for them? Now, our intentions are good, absolutely. But if in the end, we feel bad for them and then don't do anything, what really has been accomplished? We really haven't done anything. Our good intentions are not going to make their situation any better. We need to take action. And if it's as simple as saying a prayer, then maybe that's what you do. Or when you see a need or an opportunity for you to be able to tangibly speak into that situation where you can invest yourself, maybe your finances, your money, your resources, whatever it might be, your time. Maybe there's an opportunity there for you to be able to say, I am going to be a part of the solution. That I'm not just going to say, I feel bad for you, but I'm actually going to do something about it. But why is it that we shy away from getting involved? Maybe it is forgetfulness. But I think there are other things as well that maybe give us pause about getting involved. For some of us, we don't want to overstep our bounds. We feel like, you know, I, I don't want to feel like I'm speaking into the situation if, if I haven't been permissioned. And, and that seems okay. That's, it seems very thoughtful. Maybe we're afraid that our help will be misunderstood, like we're taking pity on them. We don't want people to feel like we're looking down on them. Or maybe we like to be at arm's length with people because we like our privacy. And as much as I may want to get involved in someone else's life, if I'm on the other end, if I'm in a situation, I don't want to feel like I'm being imposed on by other people. So if I don't want it, then I'm not going to offer it to other people as well. And I remember this story years ago that I heard about it, that we feel like we can just do life on our own. And there was a story of this young man who came to faith, was attending church, and initially you saw him every Sunday coming to church. He was plugging in to ministries, and all of a sudden the pastor noticed that he wasn't around all that often. And so after a little while, he paid a visit to his home. And he said, you know, we miss you at church. What's been going on? He said, ah, you know what? I'm just not really sure that being part of a community is all that important to me. And so a conversation ensued. And no matter what that pastor tried to say to persuade the young man to see the value of being involved in community, to be involved in one another's lives, just couldn't get the message across. And so he sat there quietly in this room. Notice the fire burning in the fireplace. And so the pastor had an idea, and he stood up, took the tongs for the, uh, that were sitting by, by the fireplace and went in and grabbed one of the smaller burning coals uh, that had fallen off the piece of wood. And he held it there. Now, like with the fire, everything continued to burn. But after a minute or two, the burning coal that was in the tongs that he was holding slowly started to dim until it went out. And immediately that young man understood what the pastor was trying to say. That when you are in the midst of that fire, when you are part of that one big pile of wood that is burning, you continue to burn together. But the moment you feel like you can do this by yourself, the moment you feel like you can remove yourself and feel like I can do life by myself and I don't need to be involved in other people's lives, we pull ourselves away from that source of the burning, of the fire, 
And at first, it feels like, oh, it's exactly the same because we continue to burn. But without the sustaining power, without the sustaining strength of that community, eventually that ember burns out. Hebrews, in fact, says the same thing. It says, it tells us not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We feel like we can just do everything on our own. In recent observations, when I think about our culture today, I think about what I see in our own culture, in our own way of life, and the things that we value. And we value privacy very highly. We value our individualism very highly. You know, many cultures around the world, though, are very much family first. You know, I grew up in an Indian home where, you know, it was expected that you lived at home until you, your workplace was too far and didn't make sense to live at home or until you got married. And so you lived at home. It wasn't like as soon as you were 18, you moved out of the house. It wasn't anything like that. There was this great sense of we are together. We do journey. We journey together. We do things together as much as we can. Our culture has taught us to fend for ourselves and be self-sustaining. And certainly, these are good qualities to have. I'm not saying that these things are wrong. Because we need to learn to be responsible. We need to learn to take care of ourselves and not just fully rely on other people. But maybe has the pendulum swung too far the other way where we feel like my need to be an individual, my need to have my needs met without anyone else's opinion making sense or having a a sway on my life meant that we have drawn ourselves away from the strength of being involved and plugged into a wonderful community. What's more, the Bible teaches us that there is joy in getting involved So if you choose to say, okay, I'm going to be a part of a community, then more than that, get involved in that community. Look at the Philippians. They had to sacrifice something of themselves in order for for them to meet the needs that Paul had expressed. It wasn't easy for them to say, okay, I'm just going to give up this money because we have so much extra for it. No, they gave sacrificially. They gave something of themselves that they needed. And there was joy in being sacrificial. There was joy in being able to speak into someone else's need. See, our focus can so, sometimes be so caught up with others and trying to serve them that we take our eyes off our own problems and we realize that maybe the things that we thought were so important to us when we see our issues, our circumstances in light of what everyone else is going through, we realize, you know what? God, thank you so much for being present in my situation And thank you for giving me the opportunity to be able to be present in someone else's life. Because sometimes we get so absorbed and so inward focused on what's happening to us that we fail to see what's happening around us. And maybe if we took our eyes off of us a little more and more on others, we would live our lives with a proper perspective. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 says, We cared so deeply that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. That is how beloved you have become to us. And imagine that being said of you. You see, there is such great joy in seeing people come to faith, seeing people say yes to Jesus and, and the gift of forgiveness that Jesus has offered to people. But there's joy not only seeing people's lives changed by the gospel, but seeing your entire life invested into others. See, we love evangelism because it's pretty much, it's a very straightforward uh, process in our minds. You know, evangelism is very important, that we want to see people's lives being saved. 
that we want to see people having a hope for eternal life. And so we can see, be so focused on being able to share the good news with people, seeing them come to faith and be in relationship with God, but we neglect and we forget that evangelism is not just about what we say, but it's about what you do. It's how you live. Because your words will seem so empty if the life that you live alongside what you say lacks any substance. Because you could be the person that says, God bless you and be well with you. But if you do nothing to meet the need, you have proven nothing about the weight and the power of the words of the gospel. And so being involved in one another's lives, being involved in community, committing to relationship, that is what is at stake. People's lives are at stake. And so if we are willing to engage in lives, not only sharing the good news with people, not only sharing the gospel, but saying, I am going to be with you on this journey of life that we can be together to celebrate the highs, to mourn and sorrow together in the lows of life, to support and strengthen one another, that when you are in need, I can be there for you. And that when I'm in need, I know that you are there for me. What a wonderful privilege it is to be able to journey together as the body of Christ. And we try to do that in practical ways. For example, for years now, one of the things that our growth groups have partnered with around Christmas time is our Christmas baskets. Over the course of a year, we come across families within our church or maybe in our community where we realize, you know, for one reason or another, maybe it was finances, maybe it was just difficulties, they just had a hard time this year. They could do with an, a, a, just a very tangible, small expression of love from their church family. And so what we've done is we've gathered together names of, and this year it's our highest number ever, we've gathered names of 30 different families that we know of in our church community where we thought, you know what, if we could put a Christmas basket together of goodies, of gifts, of clothes, of just some tangible expressions of love that we could say, hey, at this time of Christmas, we just want you to know that you are not forgotten, that we are thinking of you, we're praying for you, and we hope that this small gift will just be something that brightens your day in the midst of whatever it is that you're facing, whether it's health or finances or difficult situations in your family, whatever it is. And so for those of you in your small groups, be talking to your facilitators, be asking and looking on the website. You'll find the link there about how you can sign up. It's a great opportunity at this time of the year where you can be involved in the lives of other people in our very church. So committing to relationship is one way of sustaining joy. Another way that we can sustain joy is through a transformed mindset. If you look in your Bibles again, in our key passage, verses 11 through 13, it says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I think probably the biggest misconception about joy is that it's based on our circumstances. But as I shared at the beginning, we're not talking about happiness, which is circumstantial. Rather, joy isn't a result of circumstance. It's a product of our mindset. Joy is not a matter of circumstance. It's not based on your circumstance. It's a product of your mindset. So I love the way that Paul sets this up here. And look at the anticipation that comes through this. I'm not saying this because I am in need. I know what it is to have, be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret. 
I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Okay, Paul, what, what's the secret? What's the secret? Let us in on this profound truth. Verse 13, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret. And you're thinking, wait, that, that's it? God's not going to do this incredible thing where he's going to save me from my situation? No, not necessarily. If God chooses to do that, that's great. But what God offers you in the moment of your struggle, in the moment of your need, is the ability to traverse through it, to have the strength that God provides, that no matter what happens, whether it's good or bad, whether you're in need, whether you have plenty, it's that God is there with you in the midst of it. That's the secret. When you think about babies, for example, we have to even think about uh, the way that we change our mindset. You know, when we are born as children, what are babies often doing? I mean, hopefully they're smiling a lot, but eventually they're crying. They're crying out because they need something. I need my diaper changed. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I got hurt. All these different things. And, you know, for parents, you've learned, you know, the different cries and the nuances of what that cry means, and we get used to it, and we understand it. And so for a baby, at that very uh, simple level of awareness and understanding of their existence, they cry out. They are in need. They cry out. And we get that. And we tolerate it because we understand. And so in our time of need, understandably, we cry out. We say, God, I need this. I need that. I understand. And so we hope that God speaks into our situation. But I think like babies, we hope that year after year, they grow up, they get better, they mature, they, they understand. What about us? What about you and I in our faith? That when we first started, we thought, okay, God, I need this, please provide it. But maybe our mindset needs to mature as well. That just because I have a need doesn't mean that I just go to God and say, God, I need you to fix this. I need you to do this in my life. I need you to do whatever it is that you can do just so I feel better. What God is teaching through this passage here this morning is that we have an opportunity to, for our mindset to be changed. That God is saying, I'm going to do something different. I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, I am there with you. Don't feel like I'm just going to take away all the problems so that you feel like it's super easy. No, I want you to know that in your highest of highs, in your lowest of lows, I am with you, and you are not alone. So how does your spiritual life measure up? Are you still like a baby in your spiritual life? Are you crying, screaming, needing attention because your focus is inward? Or would you say, no, I must be more than mature than that. I, I can't be like that. Well, look at your prayer life. How often is our prayer life so focused on us and our needs? Now, imagine taking your prayer life and translating that to a friendship of yours. Think about the best friend that you've had. Think about what has made your friendship so valuable. Or maybe you're married and you're thinking about the relationship you have with your spouse. Think about that relationship that is so meaningful to you and think about the conversations you have. What is it that adds value and substance to you? It's the dialogue, right? It's that you, there's a back and forth. There's an understanding that when I talk, you listen. When they're talking, I listen. But translate your prayer life to a friendship that you have today. And imagine this scenario playing out for a moment. Hey, Joe, thank you so much. I love you. You know, you're such a great person. I think you are so incredible. 
And I want to thank you for providing this for me. You know, when you did this in my life, that was awesome. And, you know, I have this need, so I'm hoping that you can do this. And, you know, I'm praying that you'll, or I trust that you're going to help me in this way and you're going to do this for me. Okay, thank you. Bye. And then we walk away. Think about your prayer life. Isn't that sometimes how it ends up being? That we just talk our way through our conversation with God and God is waiting there and saying, okay, thanks. I was hoping to say something, but apparently you had so much to say. Okay, thank you. How often in our prayer life, is our prayer so focused on us and what we want and what we want for others that we're not even taking time to listen to what God would have to say to us. So maybe when we enter our times of prayer, your personal devotion, it's not that we sit down and we immediately jump into a prayer. Can I encourage you or challenge you to say, start with maybe five minutes of complete silence. For once, let God start the conversation. Where is he leading your time of personal devotion? Because maybe when God has an opportunity to speak into your life, to say something into your needs, in your situation, you'll completely change the way you think about who you are and what's going on in your life. And again, that hope of a changed mindset takes place. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul talks about a transformed mind. What does that mean? I think we can either conform to the way that the world would have us look at our situation and our circumstances, or we can allow God to transform our minds so that we look at our situation, we look at ourselves in a completely different way. And how does that look like? Well, there's a story in the New Testament in the Gospels about Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. There are these two men who were presented with the truth of Jesus. When they saw his life, they saw his ministry, both were amazed and they genuinely, sincerely wanted God to touch them and to transform their lives. The rich young ruler wanted to follow Jesus and listed all these great things that he had done. But then Jesus said that he should give away his possessions. And in Luke 18, verse 23, it says, when he heard this, he became very sad and he, because he was very wealthy. The ruler left sad because he was unable to give something up. He was religious. He went to work. Uh, sorry, he went to church. He did good deeds. But the ruler was trying to force these changes on, by himself, and he couldn't make that happen. Now, juxtapose that situation and how it played out with the life of Zacchaeus just a chapter later in Luke 19. And verse 8 says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus' transformed life is what enabled him to live differently. Joy came from giving away his extra and having a relationship with Jesus. I think joy regularly escapes us in the pursuit of more. You see, both Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler had wealth to give, but only one was able to find joy because of his good works, because his good works were motivated by something greater. Good deeds are integral to the Christian journey, but we are not saved by our good works We do good works because we are saved. They are an expression of what God has done for us. And that leads me to my third point, which is that joy can be sustained through a generous lifestyle. 
Look at your Bibles again. In verses 15 and 16, Moreover, you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. The Philippian church lived generously. Their attitude was, everything that I am, everything that I own, is given for the benefit of the kingdom. They celebrated in Paul's successes because they were partnered in it. How often have you realized when we're uh, using that early example of prayer, so many times we say that we're going to pray for someone, but we forget. One of the things I've discovered, because I've wrestled and I've struggled with that too, one of the habits that I've gotten into of late is that, especially here at church, when I see you after service, in between services, out in the foyer, and someone shares a need, I realize I'm hoping I will remember a prayer request, but right there, right there, in that moment, can I just pray with you? And so we just pray. So at least right then it's prayed for. One of the other things I'm trying to do is write these things down so that when I'm in my prayer time, when we're having family prayer at home, we're able to pray through these needs as well. But that's a tangible way. And then what I found is because I've taken that time to pray, I recall those situations more easily. So the next time I see that person, I remember, hey, I prayed. How are things going? What has God been doing? Give us an update. I want to know that you are being cared for and let me know what's happening. And so we inadvertently are more intentional. We are more involved in people's lives because of our generosity of our time and our prayer. Now, joy can come out of every place you intentionally partner with. Now, we already talked about the baskets, the Christmas baskets, but think about some of the other ministries that we support here at the church. You know, one of our mission trips is to Tanzania that we've done for a few years now. We partner with the Villages of Hope. There's a tangible way where through your fundraising with the 5K Walk and Run, you are pouring into someone else's life. You are giving generously of your time. Maybe it's the finances. Maybe it's the time to be able to do the walk. Or maybe your investment is not just only that, but actually going on the trip itself. In fact, we have five mission trips that are going to be taking place next year. And maybe God's plan is that you would be a part of one of those. Maybe it's something that's a more local expression. Maybe it's being able to serve into one of the many ministries we have here at the church. Maybe it's kids' ministry. Maybe it's as an usher or greeter or communion server. Maybe it's being part of our tech team. There's so many different ways that you can give of yourself so that you can pour into the lives of others. But why do we struggle with giving generously? It's not just our money, but it's our time and our love and our help. Why do we sometimes struggle wanting to give to people in that? I think it's, again, that struggle because where we have fixed our gaze. Are you looking inward to your own needs? Because if you are then it's easy to say, I don't have anything to give because I need all of who I have, who I am, and what I have to be able to speak into my own world. Or is maybe God asking us to change our mindset, change our perspective and say, don't look to your own needs, but look to the needs of others. And are we struggling maybe because we haven't trusted God to meet the need? Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The Bible is clear that God will meet your needs. So what has led you to believe God would do otherwise? Because really, that's what it comes down to. Somewhere along the line, you've stopped believing that God will meet your needs. 
For some of us, maybe it's because we trusted God for something and it seemed like he didn't pull through and meet the need that we thought we had. Or I wonder if the problem is that we think we have a need that God doesn't think is a need for us. God says he will provide all your needs. But is what you need resources? Is what you need that perfect job? Is what you need perfect health? Or is maybe what you need patience, assurance, wisdom, not necessarily health and wealth? This is something that has been acutely aware, uh, become aware to me now in the last uh, few years. In the last four years in particular, I've had three people very close to me uh, die due to illness. Four years ago, it was my mom's sister, so my aunt. Last year, it was my dad. And just two, uh, about three weeks ago, was my first cousin. And through this journey of processing their deaths, especially because it seemed like God, they were taken far too early, they were not all that old, especially my cousin who's only two years older than me, leaves behind two young kids, and you wrestle with the death of these people, and you wonder, God, we prayed. We are Christians. We know, God, that you were able, because we hear testimonies of people being healed. We know that you are alive and at work today. And when we look at these situations of these three people, we think, God, if you intercede in these moments, if you say, I'm going to change the, the supposed trajectory of their lives, because right now it looks like they're supposed to die due to their disease, but I'm going to do something different. I'm going to save them. I'm going to restore them to full health. We are thinking, man, this is incredible. I mean, think about the testimonies these three people would have. Think about what we could share about God's goodness and faithfulness and be able to say to people, look at what God is doing. And so in our own minds, in our own ways, we think, this is, this is such an easy answer. God, absolutely, you should heal them. This is what you need to do. But as they have died... More and more, I've become aware that there are other needs that are at work here. That when, we, when these people were alive, they were self-sufficient. They took care of themselves. One of the things that I've now noticed is that because of the passing away of these loved ones, more family, more friends have come and involved themselves in their lives. And God has give, used them this opportunity for people to come together in community, to commit to relationship. So what we thought was a need... God said, no, I need, I see another need. I see a need for you to come together. When we thought that the need was for them to live and to be healthy and to be comfortable, God realized that maybe one of the things that he needed to teach, at least me, was to be acutely aware and never to really forget that there is a life awaiting us after this one that is far greater than we could ever hope for or imagine. And sometimes we get so caught up in this existence, and understandably so, because this is all we've ever really known. But we get so caught up in this side of heaven that we realize heaven is waiting. Heaven is waiting. There is something far greater for us. And all the more so for us who believe that we know that death is not the end, that there is something good and perfect awaiting us. And so as much as we want healing, is the healing there simply for our comfort? Or is it for his glory? Maybe we need to realize that it's okay for our bodies to decay. Because if you have a theology of healing, which is good, you also need to have a, a proper theology of dying. Because these bodies are meant to waste away. They're not meant to live forever. 
And they are going to waste away one way or another. We hope that it's peacefully at an old age where we don't even realize it. We're asleep and all of a sudden we wake up and we're in the presence of Jesus. But so often, as I'm sure you have experienced and as I have now in the last four years especially, death comes in a very painful, difficult, ugly way. And it's tough, still hard. But it's good to know that we have a hope. We have something to look forward to. And that's what we put our hope, that's what we put our trust in. And so when God calls us to community, when God calls us to relationship, when God has transformed our mind, when we look at the needs of others, it's not, God, I need you to meet this need. Maybe we need to realize that there are other needs that God has for you that are far more important that he's shaping who you are to be more like him, to see the world the way that he sees it. So in God's sovereign plan, it wasn't his will to heal my loved ones, at least the way that I thought. They found wholeness, but they found wholeness by having this body waste away so that they could be in the presence of God. Let me close with this. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, what's cool, as we were studying this passage, we looked at the timeline of Paul and his travels and when he would have first come across the Philippian church. Paul visited them in 50 AD. And so we actually realize now this is 11 years later that this is being written. So for 11 years, the Philippian church, the one that Paul said, when no one else stood up, you were there. For 11 years, this church was present in Paul's life. When I look at the Philippian church, I want to be inspired by them. I want them to be the example that I follow right here in this moment to say, look at what they did. Look at how they transformed Paul's life and his ministry. Look at what they did to pour and speak into his needs. I want my relationships to have meaning. I want to be committed to relationship. I want to be a blessing to my church family. And I want to be a blessing to my unsaved friends. I also, like the Philippian church, I want God to transform the way that I think so that it will transform the way that I live. And I don't want my life to be lived inward. I want it to look outward. And as I look outward, I want to be a generous person so that people see Christ living in me. I don't want just words to give to people. I want to give my life to people. That is what I think God wants to teach us this morning. I want my life to be true, a true, full expression of God's love. Who here would say that that is something that they would like for themselves too, that they want to see God doing that in their lives? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for this morning and speaking to us through your word. Thank you for a church like the Philippian church who exemplified such an incredible mindset of joy that we saw even in the midst of their own challenges, they saw a need and they spoke into it. They saw the value of relationship. They changed the way that they thought about their own situation and looked out to the needs of others. And because of that, because of how you transformed their mind, it changed the way that they lived and they lived generously. God, for me and for everyone hearing my voice this morning in this room or online or on the podcast, God, I want to thank you for what it is that you're doing for them right now. 
I want to thank you for the situations that they find themselves in right now. That no matter what is going on, you are greater. No matter what is happening, you are stronger. God, you are mightier. And you are the provider. And so we know that whatever it is that we need, you'll provide. And that in your wisdom, you know what it is that we need. And so we will trust you for how you will speak into our situation. And at the very least, whatever it is, we can do all this through him who gives me strength. That no matter whether it's good or bad, we go through it with your grace and your strength. So God, thank you. Thank you, God, for the joy that you give us. Thank you for the joy that we have because of what you have done and what you are continuing to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.